Hey, welcome everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. I'm here with Clint Poppy. Clint, how are you? I am wonderful. Thank it's you. Good to be with you. Moline's still uh, MIA. He'll be he'll be back hopefully next time we record. We don't know if he's a bear hunter or a bear killer <laughs> at this point in time, so we'll have to wait until he gets back it to tell the story. It depends on who you talk to, I suppose, with regard to that. But it's good to be with you folks. So we've been talking about the Ninth and the Tenth Commandments. You should not covet your neighbor's house. And you should not covet your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. We are not to scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house. We are not to entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, or animals. We're to help our neighbor keep what he has and to help him prosper with what he has. Uh, we are, to, as God's servants, as God's instruments, his redeemed people, we are to help our neighbor, uh, uh, our neighbor's uh, how shall I say this? Uh, for example, if you if you're an employer and you've got employees, you you make sure that you you don't for uh, you urge them to stay and do their duty. To use the language of the small catechism, or with regard to church, for that matter, you know you you, you encourage church members to stay and do their dirty duty in their congregation. You know, Amen. Uh, that's that's what we do as pastors and as church members. In any event, that gives you a, a flavor. And we were talking about how coveting is the desire to have what you don't and can't have. <laughs> I repeat, coveting is the desire in the heart to have what you don't and can't have. And coveting, remember, is a sin that goes on in the heart. And of course, the heart doesn't stop a beat with regard to this, the old Adamic heart. Uh, last time when we uh, talked about this, Clint, the last episode, I said, I've got a true story that illustrates, and you used the language, and I'll repeat it here. I was 13 years old, growing up in Wyoming, and we were playing baseball in a 13-year-old uh, baseball tournament, Newcastle, Wyoming, of all places, up in the Black Hills, part of Wyoming. And we're in between baseball games in the tournament. We're sitting in the bleachers, and uh, our coach, Coach Steve Jackson, who had recently been married to his high school sweetheart, Arlene Selinsky, were watching the game. And all of a sudden, these beautiful young women walk by. And uh, there's three of them that walk by. And we look. And then we look at Coach Jackson, and he's looking. And we're doing a double, triple take, you know, because should he be doing this? He's married. And he keeps watching them walk past. And uh, we finally ask, Coach, should you be doing this? And he goes, it's all right to look, but not to touch. Yeah. That was very illustrative or illustrative for me uh, with regard to how he had sinned. He, Coach Jackson, Jackson thought that, you know, it's okay to look, but just don't touch. Well, Jesus teaches otherwise. You know, as I quoted last week, you know, if a man looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her. And so he, Coach Jackson, thought, externally, I can look with my eyes and I can keep the heart out of it. Well, guess what? You can't make that distinction. No, and you, you know the heart is in it yeah. because if your girlfriend or wife catches you doing that, <laughs> your wife or girlfriend right. knows that your eyes and your heart are connected exactly right. and you will get in big, big, big time trouble. You know, that, that illustration, that story, and it's, it's amazing. You've got the names and the dates and the places that's etched into your memory. Oh it's, yeah. I'll have Alzheimer's and I'll still be telling this. It's a, uh, it's amazing how, uh, how those things happen like that. But, um, with, with regard 
to that particular sin. It's okay to look but not touch, Sixth Commandment kind of things. Uh, I think this is one of the reasons why we have a pornography epidemic in our world and in our churches, because people have bought the lie that your eyes can be disconnected from your heart. Right. And we even have wives and husbands who uh, maybe have a, a different uh, sexual um, desire or intimacy desire from their spouse that will encourage, oh, yeah, go get the computer out. Leave me out of it. And, again, assuming that what goes on with the eyes is not connected to the heart. In the church, we often talk about how, how pornography leads to other sin, that people that are addicted to pornography uh, will sometimes try to meet other people or it will lead them to some sexual deviancies or uh, wild and crazy kind of things. But we don't get to the heart of the matter because these are sins of the heart. Right. And um, I know several people that have on their computers, on their computer screens, Bible passages that will say things like, created me a new heart, O Lord, or other specific sexual kind of passages to remind them what God's Word teaches with regard to sins of the heart. And it doesn't doesn't just have to be pornography, but I think this is the most prevalent with regard to the sins of the heart. Yeah, and we talked about King David in this regard last time in 2 Samuel 11, where, yeah, his desire was for Bathsheba. Uh, and as you mentioned to me during one of our breaks, you know, King David, as the redeemed child of God and king of Israel, when he saw Bathsheba taking a bath naked, he he should have said, all right, I'm not looking anymore, and refrained, closed, or they didn't. Have, he was on top of the roof, so he should have gone inside, and then maybe he should have sent his servants to her and said, uh, "Why don't you uh, uh, go somewhere where we can't see you? You know, don't tempt us like this. Cover up." And he's the king. He could have provided a private place for her to uh, bathe. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of things that he could have done to encourage her to proper behavior and encourage her to stay with her husband rather than entice her away right. by being the queen. Right, and, and this, you know, this brings up another uh, topic here with this particular story. Is let's not forget, folks, when you continue to read Second Samuel, you know, beyond chapters 11 and 12, you learn that Uriah and David knew each other, which probably means that Bathsheba and David knew each other. You know, my point is, is that when we, when we read Second Samuel 11, we just assume that David and Bathsheba have never met. I don't think that's the case at all. I think they know each other and they know each other very well. And so on the one hand, David desires her. But on the other hand, I think she desired him, too. I think this was a two way street here. I think this was, uh, we'll have to find out when we go to heaven. I'm going to ask him this question. Maybe I won't have to ask because I'll know, but uh, 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 either that or it won't matter. Or it won't matter. But uh, I, I really think that they both wanted each other. And so they both broke the 10th commandment here so, and the 6th as well. So then we're talking about the importance of choosing our friends who we spend time with socially. Yeah. And uh, if people are flirtatious right. by nature, uh, we need to love them enough to tell them to stop it. 
or you have to move or, away, or you have to you have step to have aside. enough self control to step aside, and you have to you have to kind of be like Mike Pence. No, not kinda. You have to be like Mike Pence you if understand you want to follow these questions. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. and Mike Mike Pence has been uh, criticized in our in our media and even in Christian churches as being archaic and Puritan and just a just a hick, a buffoon, and yet Mike Pence continues to be, I mean, he's not perfect, of course, but he continues to be, with regard to the Sixth Commandment and these coveting, uh, he has surrounded himself with people to help him, right. to encourage him to not sin. That's right. And, and we can learn so much, so much from that. We were taught, I'll speak for myself, but when I was at the seminary in St. Louis, we were, we were taught this by our professors, is that, you know, when you, you do not want to open yourself to temptation so that you covet a person that you're speaking with. So when it came to like meeting with people who wanted to talk to the pastor, make sure you, you make the proper precautions so that you don't, you know, fall like a King David here, you know, and uh, most people, again, I'm speaking in general, but most people have seen this happen in congregations where the pastor falls. And many times the uh, the pastor is involved in some intimate thing anyway. Somebody has died. Somebody has a tragedy. Somebody's going through a, a terrible issue with their children or their spouse. Uh, emotions are running high. You've got, you've got this emotional thing, and the pastor is there to be the rock and to be the emotional, uh, emotional stability in a very difficult situation. You have, you're dealing with vulnerable people, and you want to talk about opportunities to abuse the yeah. power yep. that God has given you. Right. And uh, pastors are flawed, sinful human beings, and so we need every opportunity to teach us, encourage us to not fall into these kind of sins of the flesh. Um, meet, never meeting with, uh, uh, well, small children, never meeting with members of the opposite sex, without the door open, other people in the church, uh, you know, uh, just using some good common sense, uh, not touching and becoming intimate, no matter how intimate the situation is with the tragedy or whatever. Uh, you know, some people may look at me as the cold, anti-hugging pastor, but uh, I am the master of the side hug and the anti-hug handshake. When somebody's coming up to me with their arms out and they want a hug, I can reach out my hand for a handshake and put my hand on their shoulder, and I'm not trying to be a cold, heartless jerk. What I'm trying to do is to keep myself and other people from falling into these kind of sins. And I don't think we can teach and encourage that enough, Pastor. Well, with re yeah, you're right. And with regard to these two commandments, let's remind our listeners that coveting then is the root cause of all kinds of sin. <laughs> As we learn, all you have to do is read Second Samuel 11, and you find out that David, by coveting, then commits all kinds of other sins. You know, not only the sixth, but the fifth. One can argue the seventh. One can even argue the eighth and ultimately the 
the first. And the fourth, because he's certainly abusing his, his authority, authority yes, exactly. as the king. Yep. Uh, you go right down, and it's probably the eighth. Because, uh, you know, he insinuates that uh, Uriah doesn't love his wife because he stays outside. He won't go in and sleep with her. I mean, it just it just explodes into a, ready for this, plethora yeah. of sins yeah. because that's what happens. Our heart explodes into all kinds of sin. Now, Pastor, we're getting, we're getting close to break time, but I want to ask you a question, and maybe you can address this when we come back from the break. The problem is our heart, right? Yes. We have a defective heart. Right. So um, can I get like a, uh, like a new valve? Can I get like a, uh, a pig <laughs> artery transplanted onto my heart to make my heart work better? Uh, can I get like some uh, holy life-inducing steroid shot into my heart? Can I get... Uh, like angioplasty so that my my heart opens up and I'm more of a channel for God's grace. If the problem is my heart, how can I fix my heart so that I can follow the ninth and tenth commandment? <laughs> That's a great question. I hear the music, so we'll pick this up after the break. So hang on tight, folks. at noon on KNNA. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Again, this is Table Talk, and it is your healthy theological radio addiction. Again, I'm Brent Kuhlman. And I'm here with Clint Poppy. Hey, Clint. Hi, Brent. How are you? <laughs> Good. You asked the question, what's the solution to this old Adamic heart that covets 24-7, 365? Yeah, I, I, want, I want angioplasty, a spiritual angioplasty. I want my heart opened so that the love of God can flow through my heart. Um, I, you know, I listen to all these songs on the radio, uh, contemporary Christian music. I know it can be done. I just, I just need the right uh, attitude. No, I need you, need, the you right... need the radical solution. Oh, the biblical you, radical. You method. Lutheran, you. And I mean radical in the sense of uh, where that, 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 that word is from the Latin, which comes from, it means root. So when I say radical, we're going to go to the root of all of this. Uh, what you need is a new heart. Or to put it this way, you need to be repented. The old Adam has to die. And then the new miracle has to occur. A grand miracle that only God can bring about through the preaching of the gospel is that you have a new heart spelled F-A-I-T-H, faith. A heart that now beats to God's will, 
a heart that beats to God's word. Again, that's spelled F-A-I-T-H. Uh, a heart that lives in the fear, love, and trust in God above, above, above all things. Uh, to put it simply, a heart that is, in, is content. A heart that is content with what God has given you and doesn't want to steal, entice, scheme, or take from your neighbor. So you're telling me that my heart can't be fixed? It, it must die. Your old Adamic heart has to die, and it has to die every day, which is part of your baptismal life. So that the new man can arise to live before God in righteousness and purity. Then no wonder nobody wants to be a Lutheran because <laughs> nobody wants to die. They just want to be fixed. I, you know, I hear all this talk in, uh, in the church today, even from Lutheran pulpits and Lutheran publishers. Um, I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm, I'm not really rotten to the core. I'm just broken. Okay. And, and, and so just fix me because I'm broken. Um, and just like, you know, like when my girlfriend leaves me and I have a broken heart, I just, I just need a new girlfriend, and then, and then I'm kind of patched up again. Uh, this is the language of the world. This is the language of the church. This is the language in many Lutheran churches. And, and Pastor, you know it. Yeah, and, and um, to put the best construction on it, you know, you can quote Psalm 50, 51, that what does God desire from us? A broken and contrite heart. heart, which is the Bible's way of saying, and I repeat, the Bible's way of saying, or to piggyback on Paul in Second Corinthians 3, is death. Death. The old, sinful, Adamic heart must be put to death. It must die. Because that's the only thing you can do with the old Adamic heart. It can't be repaired. It can't be rehabilitated. No, it must die. So in Psalm 51 and in Divine Service 3 in uh, Lutheran Service Book, we sing the offertory, uh, created me a new heart or a clean, a clean heart, heart yeah. uh, depending on uh, your translation. And that's Psalm 51. So what, what you're telling me is that I need a new heart, a clean heart. Uh, I need a spiritual heart transplant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that I can't do it myself? Correct. It's, it's, uh, that's why I said Second Corinthians 3, where through the law or the letter, Paul says, you die. You die. Okay, so now when you're, when you're using this uh, distinctively Lutheran language here about uh, you need to die. Uh, you need to die, and God rises you again, or Or, as whatever. Paul puts it in Ephesians, put off the old man. That's his way okay. of saying the old, the old Adamic nature that he described elsewhere, like in his letter to the Romans, it must die. Okay, so how do I do that? Ah, the what? Lord does it. The Lord, the Lord deaths, puts to death your old sinful nature and your old Adamic heart through his word of law. That's how he does it. That's why he sends preachers. <laughs> to kill you. So uh, I'm coming. I'm coming at this from from the back end here, Pastor. So when I cut myself off from the preacher, when I cut myself off from God's word, when I cut myself off from the Lord's Supper, when I cut myself off from the divine service, God can't kill my heart and give me a new one. God right. can't repent me. Is this what we're? Is yeah, this exactly. what we're saying? Or as, or as the Old Testament prophets say it, like in Deuteronomy and other parts of the Old Testament, God kills in order to make a alive. Yeah, it's God who must put the old Adam, the old sinful heart, to death 
so that a new heart can be created from the preaching of the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. And that's spelled F-A-I-T-H, which is a total miracle. So both the putting to death and the making of alive is God's work through the law and through the gospel. This is the biblical teaching that the Lutheran Reformation recovered. The apostles taught this. Read the New Testament. Read Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1. Death. Die to your sin. That's when Jesus said in Mark 1, repent, he's saying die to your sin. And then believe the good news, which is the gospel. The good news is the gospel. That's the faith. That's the new heart, which trusts Jesus. Or as we're talking here with the ninth and 10th commandments, it is being content in your heart with what God's given you. If I can uh, share a little bit from uh, the book of Ezekiel. <sighs> Ezekiel, this was, uh, this was the Old Testament reading. Um, oh, I think it was one of the, one of the Sundays, in, uh, yes. uh, Sundays of Easter. But from Ezekiel 36, and I'll start reading at verse 22. Verse 26 is the money verse. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Is it not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name? which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. In other words, your stinky heart is causing you to sin and causing you to smell up my name among the nations. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. (laughs) And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you notice there in those verses that it's the Lord doing it all? The Lord is doing it all, (laughs) and he's doing it for his sake. And we are the beneficiaries of God's great love for us. And at the end of that, God desires for us to walk in his ways. God desires for us to live a sanctified, holy life life. And there are so many people out there in the church, uh, and especially in what we would call radical Lutheranism, that would say, how you live your life is irrelevant. And uh, this, uh, God's word doesn't talk that way. God's word is very clear. He gives us a new heart to love him and then to serve and love our neighbors. Right, which is all gift from him and his good use of us in living lives according to his word for the sake of others. (laughs) <laughs> and and, the, and so that's the ninth and tenth commandment. Uh, it shows us our sin. The Lord repents us. And through the gospel, he faiths us, gives us a new heart. We are his new creation. And his good use of us in that regard is to take care of our neighbor's stuff, to be content with what we have. So we're not going to entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, or animals. Uh, we're not going to turn them against our neighbor, but we're going to urge them to stay and do their duty. So, so pastor, as I, as I, 
ponder those words that I just read from Ezekiel 36. Is it possible for me, chief of sinners though I be, the old Adam raging inside of me, with this gift of the new heart that God has given me, is it possible for me to truly be content Is it possible for me to not be consumed by the sins of my heart? How do I continue to live that holy life and not let my cheating heart erupt in all kinds of shameful sins that that profane God's name among the nations even to this day? It's it's a yes and no answer. Uh, It's the constant battle. So on the one hand, is with, this the saint sinner thing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So so you're leading a sanctified life when your old Adam is being put to death. When you, with the, with the, with God's word and His Spirit at work in you and on you, you're doing battle against your old Adamic nature, the devil and the world's temptations. That's holy work. That's holy work. That's that's fruit of the spirit. Okay, and so yes. Uh, you, you're learning how to be content, but at the same time, you have to battle the discontent that you constantly have in your life. So it's the chronic battle. But see, that's what it means to make progress in your life. To make progress as a Christian with regard to what you asked is when you're doing battle against these, the, the evil trinity, your sinful nature, the world, and the devil. And then, then the new man, spelled F-A-I-T-H, can speak like Paul. I've learned to be content in every situation. Right. Is and that's from Philippians four, Philippians three, Philippians four. Uh, is this what Paul's talking about also in uh, Galatians two? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is an ongoing. Dying and living, dying and living, because that old Adam, that old Eve, still lives and dwells inside of me. Is that what we're talking about, It's Pastor? the baptismal life, and we as Lutherans, and the way the Bible teaches this, is if you're going to make progress in your Christian life, or to quote the authors and the preachers of the day, if, if you're going to uh, make progress in your walk with God, or if you're really being discipled, to use their language, is to... Uh, well, to die to your sin every day, to your discontent, and then to trust the Lord to take care of you because Jesus has done everything for your salvation. And now you can trust him with regard to the earthly, worldly things that you have. You see, I, this really, this is, this is the gift of the Bible. This is the gift of the Lutheran Reformation is to make progress in the Christian life is first and foremost to live in and from your baptism to Christ, as Paul teaches in Ephesians, put off the old man, put on the new man. And because of that, that's why Paul exhorts the Ephesians to live a godly life. But living the godly life is first putting off the old Adam, the old Adam dying, so that the new man can live before God by faith and others through love. This is what it means to make progress. But again, the point is death first. The, the old sinful heart has to has to has to die. You can't have a resurrection unless you first have a death. Yeah. You can't have an Easter unless you first have a Good Friday. And this is the pattern. And this is the pattern, the rhythm, the flow of the baptismal life. And this is what God delivers to us at the font. Yes. Is that right, Pastor? Absolutely. 
Yeah, this okay. is our everyday living. <laughs> the, the, awesome. Thank you for that beautiful program. Well, hang on tight because we'll come back. Uh, is it next week? Next week. Yeah, so we look forward to that. Stay Lutheran, my friend. The stars creak as you sleep. It's keeping me awake. It's the house telling you to close your eyes.